Good morning, Kingsway. Uh, as Chris mentioned, this is the last week of our series, Things I Wish Jesus Never Said, where we've been talking about some of the more difficult things that, that Jesus taught in Scripture. And on behalf of myself and the rest of the guys who have taught in this series, um, it, it has been a privilege to get to teach through this series to you all. You have been encouraging, you have been receptive to some of the most difficult things that Jesus says in Scripture. And he says a lot about a church whenever you're, uh, you're, you're not just wanting to hear the nice things of the faith, but whenever you're willing to, willing to you know, get punched in the gut a little bit and say, thanks, I needed that. Can I have another next week? <laughs> And so thank you. Thank you to Matt for trusting us to, to teach you this series and not send everybody, you know, running for the hills and away from this place. And uh, we'll be looking forward to having him, him back next week. And next time I, I'm up to preach for Matt, I promise I'll teach on something easier, like the end times or something. <laughs> but we've still got one more to go. So I want to start by asking a question. What is a question that you cannot wait to be asked. Maybe you're waiting for a boss to call you into his office and say, hey, I've really recognized the work you've been doing. I think you've been doing a great job. I think you could handle some more responsibility. How would you like a promotion? Or, or a spouse to say, you know what, sweetie, I think it's time we finally take that trip to Hawaii we've been planning on. What do you think? Or your 25-year-old kid says, mom, dad, I think I'm ready to move out of the basement. Would that be all right? <laughs> Maybe the question that, that you find yourself eagerly anticipating or that you've anticipated before is, you know, the question. You know, like popping the question. A lot of people, especially ladies, and I'm not stereotyping here, I'm just saying the way that it usually goes, that, that, that question of will you marry me is a question that you start thinking about from the time that you're a little kid. And whenever you get into a relationship that really seems like it's, you know, heading that direction, you start to find yourself anticipating that question more and more. Maybe you try to, like, sneak a little look at his bank statement, see if he's been a Jared. You know, you, your, your heart starts to skip a beat every time he drops a piece of food or he bends down to tie a shoe. <laughs> you know, my wife, you know, before I proposed, she was... She was on to me, like she knew that it was coming. And so I knew that she knew that it was coming. So I just had to mess with her a little bit. <laughs> My wife uh, is from Valparaiso, which is up near Lake Michigan. And so one day I said, I said sweetie, let's just, uh, let's just drive up to the beach and, and watch the sunset. And so we did, we got in the car and we, we drove to the beach and we walked along the beach and we climbed up, you know, one of the dunes, found a great little spot. And we sit down and, and you know, we hold hands and, and we watched the most beautiful sunset over the water. And I looked at her, looked into her eyes, I said, Ashley? She says, yes, with her voice all nervous. <laughs> Are you ready to go back to the car now? <laughs> she was so mad when I said I was telling this. Uh, she, she, she didn't say anything, but the look in her eyes and the slump in her shoulders, I mean, it spoke volumes. She said, are you sure that that's the question you want to ask in this almost perfect of moments right now? So I, I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. I proposed like 10 minutes later, and when you put the diamond ring on her finger, she completely forgot that I had messed with her before. We've been married almost nine years. We've got three beautiful children. We're fine. Uh, 
There are some things that we just can't wait to be asked. And this morning, we're talking about the opposite. This morning, there are some things that we hope that we're never asked. And to, to narrow that down a little bit to our focus today, there are some things that we hope Jesus never asks us. Now, our scripture this morning is going to be out of the book of Acts in chapter 9. And I want to admit something to you. Whenever I was studying and preparing for the message, deciding, you know, how do we want to close out this series, uh, I, I picked this particular passage and this particular topic because I was trying to get cute. <laughs> It was like, okay, well, every other thing that we're teaching on is coming out of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because that's where the majority of what Jesus said is found in Scripture. And I thought, well, you know, it'd be nice to, to talk about something that Jesus said that happened after his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. And, you know, maybe people won't be expecting it as much because it comes from a place over here. They wouldn't see it coming. And so I'm, I'm going to pick this thing here out of, out of Acts 9. Try and get cute. It turns out that in preparing for this message, God convicted me more than he has for any of the others that I've gotten ready for this series, as God often does. So joke's on me. <laughs> A little bit of background before we dive into the text. The book of Acts tells the story of the beginning of the church. This is, this is the story of what happened after Jesus left his disciples to go and to spread the good news about him to the whole world. And what happened was that the message of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, spread like wildfire. That thousands of people in and around Jerusalem were becoming followers of Jesus. And this was thrilling for his disciples. But it wasn't so exciting for the Jewish religious leaders who thought that they had ended this whole following Jesus thing whenever they had executed Jesus on a cross. There's something about dying and coming back to life that tends to lend you credibility. But these religious leaders, they wanted to put an end to this spreading of the message of Jesus. And one of the most zealous guys for this whole process was a man named Saul. And Saul was given the authority to put an end to this Jesus following movement. He was given the authority to go and to drag people out of their homes, to throw them into prison. And in his own words, he persecuted them to their death. Literally, he oversaw the public execution of Christians. Saul was not just a non-Christian. Saul was an anti-Christian. He was the anti-Christian of his day. We might think of people who are against, who are opposed anti-Christianity today. Some atheist writers, some anti-religion legal groups and terrorist organizations. That was Saul. And Saul was being given more and more authority to operate further and further away from home base as he was seeking to stamp out following Jesus. And so one day Saul was on the road to a city called Damascus. He was going there to arrest and imprison more followers of Jesus. And then Jesus showed up. Jesus in his full heavenly resurrected glory. Jesus in a light from heaven shows up to Paul, knocks him on his rear end and says, Saul, why 
Are you persecuting me? I want you to get up. I want you to go to Damascus. And I want you to wait there. And I'll tell you what happens next. So Saul, he gets up off the ground. And he's blind. And his companions, they help him along to the city. And he gets to Damascus. And Acts tells us that he didn't eat. He didn't drink. He waited. Now Saul's story is an incredible story. And it's one that we need to know. We need to understand the background for what we're going to be talking about today. But it's not the story that we're focusing on. We're actually going to be looking at the story of a man named Ananias. So if you've got your Bible open to Acts chapter 9, we're going to be starting in verse 10. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord, that's Jesus, spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him so that he can see again. Now, church, Ananias would have had no question about who this Saul from Tarsus was. You know, Jesus probably said the name, and Ananias felt his heart drop into his feet. You know that feeling of dread you get when you know you have to go have a conversation with a person that you absolutely do not want to talk to? You know, Jesus says, I've, I've shown him a vision of a guy named Ananias coming, and he was probably like, whew, well, good thing, because Ananias is a very common name. I know a couple of Ananiases who I think would be great for this job. Send them. You know, he's blind anyway. He's not going to know it wasn't me. Church, this was the nightmare assignment. This was something that Ananias would have hoped Jesus would never ask him to do. This wouldn't have even been on his radar that Jesus would ever ask anybody to do this. I mean, Saul was a Christian murderer. He was a proud murderer of Christians. The top line on his resume said, hi, I'm Saul, I kill Christians. What's the toughest thing that Jesus could ask you to do? Or maybe not even the toughest. What's something you hope Jesus won't ask you to do? Or something you hope that, you know, he'd quit asking you to do, that he, you, if you think about it, he's already been asking. Do you hope that there's somebody he hope, that he doesn't ask you to go share your faith with? Maybe somebody specific Maybe just the idea of talking about your beliefs with anybody just kind of makes your hands start to get sweaty. You know, do, do you hope that he isn't going to ask you to go somewhere? You know, maybe leave the country, go on a missions trip, go to a place that has a completely different language and different culture and not anywhere near the amenities that you're used to? Do you hope that he isn't going to ask or that he's going to stop asking you to serve? To, to stop treating Sunday morning like it's just a place for me to come and me to get filled up, but that it's also an opportunity for me to invest in others. Do you hope that maybe he isn't going to ask you to give up something 
a job that is taking away way too much time from your family and your faith, an extracurricular that gets way more of your kids' time than Jesus ever does, a relationship that you know is pulling you away from him? What is one thing that you hope Jesus never asks? I love Ananias' response here because it is, it, it's real. In verse 13, he says, But Lord, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things that this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But Lord, I can see myself saying that. But Lord, I mean, how many times have we already said that? You know, I've shared some of my story up here in the past and one that's very personal to me. But Lord, I don't want to go into ministry. Lord, I just finished a four-year degree so that I could go to law school. That's what I want to do. I'm going to make more money. I'm going to have a prestigious job. And that's what I'm doing. Stop asking me to go into ministry. For Ananias, it's, but Lord, I could get killed doing this. This guy has the authority. I walk in there. I start talking to him in your name, and I am done for. The world's probably better off with a blind Saul anyway. So what's your but, Lord? But, Lord, if I start sharing my faith with my coworkers, I might get ostracized at work. I might, I might even get fired. But, Lord, if our family makes that decision, then, then my kid, they're going to miss out on scholarship opportunities. But, Lord, if I have that conversation with my neighbor, I got to live next to them every day, and things could be really uncomfortable. But Lord, it's, it's a foreign country. Don't you know what's going on in the world today? I've, I've got little kids at home. But Lord, what you're asking, it's just too hard. We all have got them. And I kind of see our, our but Lord moments. They're coming from a couple of places. Fear and short-sightedness. It's either Jesus don't ask me to do that because I'm worried about what might go wrong or Jesus don't ask me to do that because I can't see why it's right. You know, we'll start with fear. It's Jesus, I, 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 bad things could happen if I do this. That's a little bit of where Ananias was coming from. Lord, I could get killed doing this or any number of other bad consequences that we could think of. And you know, here's the thing. I'm not here this morning to discount any, any of anybody's fears. I'm not here to tell you that it might not go, you know, the worst case scenario, the worst thing that you could think of happened. You might do what Jesus is asking you to do and it might go just as bad as you think it might go. I'm not saying that it will. It, I think that there's a good chance it could go better than that, but it might. Some of you are saying, well, that's comforting, Todd. I was on the fence before, but now I'm out. Whenever you become a follower of Jesus, you aren't promised that everything is going to work out for you. 
you know, I don't want to discount the real possibility of your fears, but I do want to remind you not to mistake the call to follow Jesus as a call to be comfortable. A pastor friend of mine, he said it like this. He said, God is a comforting God. God is a God who provides us comfort. God is a God who gives it graciously, who gives generously the comfort to us that we need. But there is a big difference between being comforted and being called to a life of comfort. And when we start saying, but Lord, to the things that Jesus is asking us to do, often we're valuing our comfort over the call of Jesus in our lives. When we say, but Lord, we're valuing our comfort over the growth that God wants to do in us. We're valuing our comfort over the people that Jesus wants to reach. In Matthew 16, Verses 24 and 25, Jesus tells his followers, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. Jesus says, give up your own way. Give up seeking out a comfortable life. And take up your cross. And that's a phrase that gets a little bit lost to us 2,000 years removed from this. You know, we, we kind of think take up your cross and we think, oh, well, things aren't going so well at work right now. Or, you know, I've, I've been having some trouble with my back lately. But, you know, it's just my cross to bear. And we think of it like it's a burden. The disciples... In Jesus' day, 2,000 years ago, living in occupied Roman territory, you talk about a cross and they know that it means one thing, death. Jesus says, I want you to give up living for yourself, give up seeking out your own comfort, and I want you to be willing to die to yourself, completely surrender and follow me. And you have to understand why he says it, because he says, if you try to hang on to your life, if you try to, to live the comfort, if you try to avoid the difficulty and trouble that might come from following Jesus, then you're going to lose your life anyway. You're going to die spiritually because you're not following me. And then you're going to die physically and you're going to be apart from me forever because you didn't follow me. But... But if you give up your life for my sake, if you completely surrender your life to me, you're going to find true life, eternal life. If you follow the tough things that Jesus asks of you in your life, yeah, it might go badly. It could even go the worst case scenario. Your fears, your reservations, they might turn from imagination into reality. I'm not saying they will, but they could. And that's what following Jesus means. It's not a call to be free from difficulty. Frequently, it's a call to walk right into difficulty, knowing that the reward is greater on the other side, so much greater than any amount of comfort we could find for ourselves here. Jesus himself faced the ultimate difficulty when he went and died on a cross for our sins to save us. 
And he says that the call to follow me is a call to be willing to walk into that difficulty yourself to bring this hope of life to others. That's fear. But, you know, then there's short-sightedness. You know, sometimes our but Lord, it isn't about, Lord, I'm worried about the bad things that could happen. It's just I have a hard time seeing how you could really use this. You know, I have a hard time seeing why it's really that big of a deal that you need me to do this thing you're asking me to do. We aren't worried about worst case scenario. It's just the best case scenario doesn't seem all that good. You say, what difference does it make if I serve? It's a big place. Somebody else will fill the spot. Does it really matter if I go into that country sending money? It's kind of the same thing, right? Is it really that big of a deal if I invite my neighbor to come to Easter services with me? This is America. There's lots of churches. I bet they'll go to one. I don't know this, but I think Ananias, this, some of this may have crossed his mind too. And he's like, okay, well, let's just weigh here the costs and the benefits. Let's say the worst thing, you know, me dying doesn't happen. The best thing that could possibly happen, which would be, Saul, you know, he becomes a believer. He stops persecuting Christians. That's pretty good, but somebody else is just going to come and fill his place and start doing it all over again. So that's not really worth it to me. What's the big win? But in verse 15, Jesus tells Ananias just how short-sighted he's being. But the Lord said, go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Jesus says, Ananias, you need to go talk to Saul because you don't have a clue what the big picture for this guy is. This guy named Saul, well, he's going to go through a complete transformation, a complete overhaul in his life. People are even going to start calling him something different. They're not going to call him Saul anymore. They're going to start calling him Paul. And Paul is going to do something that my disciples haven't been doing yet. Paul is going to leave Jerusalem. He's going to leave Judea. And he's going to go start telling non-Jewish people about me. And Paul, he's going to plant churches all over the Mediterranean. The message of Jesus is going to spread all over the Roman Empire because of Paul planting these churches. Paul is going to have an audience with people of incredible power and incredible influence and get to talk to them about me. And oh yeah, Ananias, those churches that this Paul guy is going to start, he's going to write them letters. He's going to write 13 letters that end up in the, in the Bible's New Testament. 13 of the 27 books that teach people about me and how to follow me are going to be written by this guy. And people are going to come to know me better because of this. Ananias, I'm asking you to do one thing. And then your part in this story, as far as history concerned, is over. But this Paul guy, he's going to have an impact that is so wide-reaching that people are going to be talking about it 2,000 years from now. People are going to be sitting at a church in the middle of Indiana in 2017 talking about this. I don't think Jesus got that specific with Ananias. But you get the point. All because this one man would be obedient to doing something that he had hoped Jesus would never ask him to do. 
All because of that. And he was, Ananias was obedient. He went to Saul. He put his hands on him, this killer. He put his hands on him as a brother and he prayed for him. And Saul got his sight back and he was baptized and the rest is history. All because he was obedient to doing something that he wished Jesus had never asked him to do in the first place. We could think that what Jesus is asking us to do isn't going to have a great impact. But Jesus, he tells Ananias, do what I'm asking you to do and just sit back and watch as I knock your socks off with how significant it actually is. You know, we think that maybe you think, you know, if I were to serve with like kids and students, maybe that's not that big of a deal. You know, I'm glad other people do it, but you know, it's not that big of a deal for me to do it. And I wonder if maybe my own mom and dad thought that, or Doug Maudlin, or Brad Strotes, or Jim and Val Gray. Those are all names of people you don't know, but they're people who invested in me when I was a kid, and now I'm standing here getting to share this message with hundreds of you. You never know the impact that you're going to have. Maybe you think, you know, I'm not the one who's going to start a movement in this country or in another one, but you might be the person who has an impact on the person that does. This Paul, this very same guy who had one not eager person come and talk to him, one apprehensive person come and talk to him, the same Paul who had the love of Jesus shared with him would later write this in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. He said, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. He says that because God uses us, he's got the power to use us as his vessels to accomplish not just more, but infinitely more than we could even imagine. I don't know about you, but that gets me pumped to follow whenever Jesus tells me there's something he wants me to do. So what might Jesus be asking you? Do you already know? Maybe you've been wishing, you know, he'd, he'd stop tapping you on the shoulder and stop asking. No, maybe, maybe you're not sure yet. Jesus spoke very specific instructions to Ananias. I mean, he gives him a street name. He gives him a house address. He plugs it into Google Maps for him. And, you know, biblical president tells us whenever Jesus gives you something this specific to do, you better do it or you might get swallowed by a fish. Just saying. (laughs) But maybe you don't know. Maybe you aren't sure exactly what it is that Jesus is asking you to do. And so I've got a couple of suggestions for you, and then I've got some advice. First, my suggestions. So Chris talked about these Easter invites, these, you know, bags full of Easter eggs with the candy stuck in them. This is the coolest, least intimidating way that I have ever heard of to invite somebody to come to church with you. All you got to do is hide some eggs, sign your name on a door hanger, hang it on their door. If you don't know what it is that Jesus is calling you to do, or you know that you've got some neighbors that you've been wanting to talk to about your faith and you just haven't figured out how yet, do this. Whenever whenever they're handing these eggs out, you know, as we're walking out, don't do the like shuffle past the guy who's handing the eggs out. You know, don't, don't pretend to be on your phone walking by. It's like, I can't see you. I can't see you. Do this. 
And we, t- we talked about Easter, Chris mentioned serving. You know, you could, you could just come to one of our services. You know, we got Good Friday, we got three Easter services, four opportunities. You could just come and listen and worship and enjoy what it is other people are doing. Or maybe you step outside of your comfort zone and you decide to invest in others by serving. You hold a door open and you be a smiling face to the many guests that we're gonna have here. You know, you serve communion. You, you run around and help with the kids for an hour, which is probably what I'm going to end up finding myself doing. And you say, well, I don't have anything to, to say to the kids. Like, trust me, they're not listening to you because you have something to say to them. They're listening to you because you're bigger than they are. <laughs> Most of them. <laughs> Do you know that you actually get bonus points in heaven if you serve during the 8 a.m. service next week? <laughs> it's not true. Uh, but it is having a heart like Jesus. It is saying, I'm willing to step outside of my comfort zone for the sake of others and do something that maybe Jesus has been asking you to do and you kind of hope he wouldn't. You know, one other idea, out in the lobby today, there's a kiosk that's being manned by some guys who are, who are looking to do sports ministry here at Kingsway. They approached me and said, hey, you know, we've got, we've got flag football, we've got softball. We think it'd be really cool to put this thing together where people could come and, and we could create community here among our believers and we could reach out to some people who, who maybe wouldn't ever say yes to an invite to church, but you know what they might do? They might say yes to come and play ball with some church people. You know, if that's something that, that stirs something in you, if that's something that you're passionate about, Man, go talk to those guys. If you say, hey, there's a sport that I play that I think that we could use that to help with that, go talk to those guys. But maybe sports isn't your thing, but God has made you passionate about something. You know, something that you feel like could be used for ministry. And I mean, it could be anything. It could be, you know, I'm passionate about motorcycles or I'm passionate about photography or I'm passionate about underwater basket weaving. I don't know what it is, but it's something that God has given you a passion for. And you say, hey, people could find community around this. Hey, this could be an outreach to reach people who wouldn't maybe know Jesus otherwise. If that's you, if God has given you one of those passions, please come talk to me. As the community life pastor, it is my job to help equip you to take those personal passions that you have been given and turn them into corporate ministry. I am never going to start the Jesus Motorcycle Club at Kingsway. But you might, and you might reach somebody that I never would. And I want to help us get equipped to use the things that God has made us passionate about to do ministry in our world. These are just a couple of suggestions. These are just a few things. I not even getting into suggestions on when Jesus is asking you to start doing something or stop doing something in your personal life. But I do want to hit the advice. I can't tell you this for certain because scripture doesn't tell us this for certain, but I think part of the reason why Ananias got such specific instructions is because he was open to them. You know, when Jesus called out to Ananias, Ananias says, yes, Lord. Another way to translate that would be, here I am, Lord. Ananias was open to being asked something. This wasn't, oh no, what do you want? (laughs) This wasn't, oh, sorry, I got to take another call. You know, bring me back later. This was Ananias saying, here I am. I'm ready to be used. I'm open to what you might ask me to do, even if it's something I really hope 
you don't ask. If you aren't open to having Jesus ask you to do something, there's a chance that you're not going to get the specific instructions that he wants to give you. I mean, what might God do through you if instead of being afraid or indifferent, you said, God, ask me to do something? Not even waiting for him to come to you with something due, but just saying, God, ask me to do something. I'd like us to do something this morning. And first, let me say this. Some of you are probably you got to wrestle with this message. you gotta, you got to deal with it a little bit more, and I'm not expecting any kind of response from you. Some of you here this morning wouldn't call yourself followers of Jesus. You're still figuring this Jesus thing out, and I have no expectation. No one in here would expect a response. But I want to ask those who are willing to pray this with me this morning. God, ask me to do something. And in a minute, not yet, in a minute, if you're willing, I want to ask you to stand and pray that with me. But before I ask that, I want to be sure that you know what it is that we're going to be praying. We're not going to be praying, God, ask me to do something easy. We're not going to be praying, God, ask me to do something that I can say no to if I don't like it. We're not going to be praying, God, ask me to do something that is entirely within my comfort zone. We're going to be praying, God, here I am. I'm open. We're going to hold our hands out like this and say, God, I am open to whatever it is that you might ask, even if it's something that when I walked in the room, I hoped you would never ask me to do. God, ask me to do something. If you're willing to pray that prayer along with me, would you please stand? God, you are a great God. You are a God who has blessed us beyond measure. You are a God who, when we were at our worst moment, sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. You have saved us, God. And God, I stand here with my brothers and sisters now with our arms held out, Nervous as all get out about what the response might be to this. Saying, God, please ask us to do something. Lord, ask us to do something and let us see you work in incredible ways. Lord, please set aside our fear. Please set aside our short-sightedness. Lord God, we know that you can and promise to do infinitely more than we could imagine happening. God, ask us to do something. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.